0: Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Sometimes I wish that I could buy God a cup of coffee. So, you ever taste this stuff that you made? <laughs> No, seriously, to, to go and say, say God, could, could I buy you a cup of coffee and, and let's sit down and talk? To have that conversation with him where, you know, I could talk to him about the things in my life that, you know, are troubling, uh, that you can't figure out, uh, how to respond. And, and then to be able to interact and see, right, see the look in his eyes to hear the tone of his voice, the expression on his face, his his posture, his body language, and to be able to interact with him and talk about that, and not just what's going on in my life, but what's going on in the lives of people that I serve and minister, and and, uh, to have that conversation, and there might be, you know, he still might not give me answers, but to have that and to get a sense, right? Is it possible to do that? Well, I think we all get this idea here, say, well, yeah, you know, God's not going to show up and let me buy him a cup of coffee. But there are just times when I would just like to see him. I mean, we, we talk, we warn people, you know, if you if you're, have an email that comes in, it's a little bit of a difficult email and you need to respond to this person. Is it better to send back an email or talk to them in person? Most of the time, don't send that email, right? You're gonna regret, no, you better talk in person. Why would we say talk in person? Even better than on the phone, why? Because all those things I just described, right? We, we can see the, the expressions and the, uh, the, hear the tone of voice and the body language, all this kind of stuff. And so I would like to be able to see God. Can you see God, is it possible to see God? It isn't really clear in the scriptures, I mean on the face of it, I should say. Because uh, the authors talk about being able to see God or people who saw God but then saying it's impossible, you cannot see God. And I think there's lots of ways we can talk about seeing God. We can talk about seeing God in the sense of actually seeing him with our eyes. But I, my experience in life is the very few people who have ever told me that they, that they see God typically have a few screws loose. Or I think maybe they've been tripping on mushrooms. Okay, Typically. We can also mean that, well, we're seeing God accurately in the sense of, okay, I, I see God as not only holy, but he's also loving and merciful. Seeing God accurately, we could talk about seeing him that way. We could talk about uh, seeing him in the sense of having maybe a, a very close, intimate, personal experience with him where we, we get the sense of you know, what he desires and what he wants and we might talk about that, we, that I've seen his face, right? Because it could be that we talk about seeing God in the sense of um, seeing His handiwork, seeing Him as the Creator, Designer. I can say that that I sit in, at my dining room table and look out the back door uh, at the the woods behind the yard and say, I see God in creation, and, and there's a sense in which that's true. I do. Or we could talk about that we see what's happening in people's lives, and, and then we see God work, and so we, might, we see God working. And so the authors of Scripture weren't all that different than us because they talked about God in those same kinds of ways. And so if we go through the Scripture and, and look at what they're saying when they're talking about seeing God or not being able to see God, all this kind of stuff, it be, we can become clear on what's going on there. But having said that, I would still like to see God over a cup of coffee and see Him. But if I really want to see God with these eyes that I have, these physical eyes, if that's what I'm wanting, I'm, I'm going to be disappointed. Because Jesus made it real clear when He said, God is a spirit. God is a spirit. And when he said he's a spirit, what he meant is what he elaborated on when, later on when the disciples saw him risen from the dead and said, wait a minute, you know, this must be a spirit we're seeing, not, not you know. And, but Jesus elaborately said, no, no, a spirit does not have flesh and bones. There is no material part to a spirit. And so physical eyes cannot see God as spirit. And then uh, Paul, he said, talking about God, he says, whom no man has seen or can see. God is a spirit, a spiritual being. So in some sense we're out of luck. But I want you to see today that there is a solution to this problem. There is a solution and that solution is what we're right in the middle of big time now, and that is Christmas. Christmas is a solution, and I don't mean by seeing the little baby in the nativity scene, right? But it's Christmas, and it's Christmas in this sense. It's at Christmas that what we call the incarnation happened. God, who was not a physical being, a spiritual being, came into flesh, incarnation, right? That's the in, in and into, and the carnation part is the flesh. God took on a body that my eyes could see. I mean, I wasn't present there at the time, but human eyes could see. So let's take our Bibles and go to the Gospel of John Take a look at what the Bible says about this. John chapter 1. Now, each of the Gospels were written with a particular audience in mind. Um, Matthew written primarily, I mean, at least, I guess, yeah, I could say primarily. But for a Jewish audience, we all benefit from it but really trying to show them that Jesus is their Messiah. Uh, Mark, written for the Romans, trying to show Jesus is practical, get things done, uh, Lord and Savior. Uh, Luke showing, uh, really written for a Greek audience who valued this idea of a perfect man, Jesus is the perfect man. And then the Gospel of John, which shows Jesus as God. I mean, the others do too, but John really focuses on this, showing him as God. And John wrote to a universal audience. But he was writing in the middle of a world that was controlled by the Romans with a Greek culture. And so John writes here in John chapter 1, the beginning of his letter, he says, In the beginning was the Word. Now, does that sound familiar? If we go back to Genesis chapter 1, say it with me. In the beginning, God. That's right. That's no accident that John wrote this this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. So let's just stop there. Who is this talking about? We're going to see more specifically in a little bit. Um, but this word, word, uh, to the Hebrew people, the Jewish people in their scriptures, though this it sounds strange to say this word, word, but word meant is was God expressing himself and communicating into his creation. Okay? But it was God communicating and revealing himself. In the Greek culture, this this was actually word, this word was used to describe what they believe is this, this rational mind beyond behind all the universe. Okay? And so John here is identifying, saying, look, we're talking about God. And we're talking about God revealing himself and expressing himself to us. And so he says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. Sounds separate, doesn't it, from God? Right? Does it sound separate in some sense? Right? The word was with God. But the very next phrase says, and the word was God. So whatever John is talking about here, he's telling us that there is a sense in which God can be with himself. (laughs) And yet he's God. How can God be with himself? In some significant way, but yet not be divided, he's still one. Well, let's see, let's go on. Let's look down in verse number 14. He says, and the Word became flesh. There you go. The Word uh, became flesh. This means became, so who are we talking about? Yeah, we're talking about the Son of God who when he was born into humanity was named Jesus. He became a human being, the Son of God. It, this is hard for us to really fathom. C.S. Lewis, who I really, you know, uh, love to read his, his writings. Uh, his book, Mere Christianity, was such a help to me in my early years as a Christian. Helped me to think rationally about Christianity and biblical truth and what it means. But he said, I don't know if he was quoting someone else or talking about himself, but he said, it'd be like you and I lowering ourselves to become a slug. Anybody want to be one of those slugs, you know, that just moves and leaves a little track, you know, behind them? And have you ever accidentally stepped on a slug? Goosh. Picked them up, whatever. But the idea of lowering yourself, and I don't think that's a sufficient understanding of what it means to be God and yet to become human being. And by the way, he became human being, fully human, just as you and I are. Now, one of the things that we think of when we think of being human, we think of sin, don't we? And temptation sin, that we have sinful desires. That's not what it means to be human. That's a problem that came to us. Because when God created Adam and Eve, did he create them as sinners? He did not. To be a human is not to be a sinner. That, those two things don't have to go together. Well, now, now, let me back up. That I can be misunderstood, what I just said. Because yes, ever since Adam sinned and sin came into the world, yes, we have all inherited sin. But what I'm trying to say is you don't, if you're a (laughs) human, that's going to look really good on streaming online. (laughs) Are you following me? What I'm trying to say is that to be human, sin is not a part of that. Sin is something that came to us. And was added onto humanity in a negative way. Okay, that's what sin is. And so God becomes a human being without sin. But he becomes fully human. He has a body that feels and experiences all the things that we feel and experience with our bodies. He has a soul. Okay, his mind, will, emotions, a personality. He has a spirit with which God, the spirit, lives in his spirit. He became a human being. And I have news for you. He will always be a human being. From the moment he became a human being, he is always a human being. He is also God, completely God. So the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so it's saying we are beholding, the glory of God in Jesus. I wanna see God. Hmm. Hebrews chapter one says, talking about God, it says God, his son, go ahead and go to that if you would, God, his son, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. So see, the Son of God, the brightness of his glory, in other words, there's no loss of God's glory and, and who God is in Jesus. No loss of it. The brightness of it is still there. And the express image of his person. I, I, I think that, um, I'm going to make this up, but I think the Greek words really say something else. I think the Greek words say he was a spitting image of his father. By the way, where in the world did that figure of speech come from? But he's telling us, when we see the Son, we also see the Father. We see God. Now, we're into Trinity territory, and that gets mind-boggling. The Bible presents God as one God, absolutely one God. He is not divisible, and yet he exists somehow as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay? Uh, But he's not three things, he's one. All right? And we just have to go with that because that's what the Bible reveals to us. But what I want you to see is that Jesus said this and his disciples, see, so he's getting ready to leave and he's telling them, I'm heading, I'm leaving and, you know, where are you going, all this kind of stuff. And, and I, I don't remember which disciples it was. I think it was Philip, says to Jesus, well, show us the Father and that will be okay. Just show us the Father. And Jesus says this in John 14. He says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And so this is a fulfillment of prophecy uh, in Matthew chapter 1, talking about Isaiah. He says this. He says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated. Read that with me. God with us. God with us. So here's the deal. If you want to see God, you have to look at Jesus. If you want to see God, you have to look at Jesus. And you see, God did us a huge favor that he who is spirit, he who our eyes cannot behold as long as we're in this physical world and and have physical eyes and the limitations. He enables us to see him by entering into our world and becoming a human being. Now, I understand he lived back then, we live now. But when we look to his word, we're reading the words of people who what? Saw him. John says that, that which we have seen we heard. We actually touched him. He says, we saw him. Peter talks about being eyewitnesses to these things. We saw him. And so what I want to do over the next few minutes here is really just try to encourage you. Um, We want to look at Jesus and see God. And see what God is like. I do. I, I just want this to really encourage you today. So what I did is I went through the Gospels and looked and, and found so many things. But I tried to pare it down to a, a number we can work with of things that we see in Jesus that enable us to see something magnificent about God. So we can see Him. And for those of you, some of you I know take notes and you like to put, you know, A, B, and C's or one, two, threes, okay? So don't get worried, but there are 14 of these. All right? And, and we'll move through them fairly quickly. The first one of these things that we see in the Gospels is uh, one that we've already referred to He is Emmanuel. Now, I talked a little bit last week about something that, that God put in my heart about me and the difference between me and God last week. And, and this is it. When Adam sinned, did he mess things up bad? Did he? Yes. Would you have sinned if you were Adam? Yes, you would have. I would have too. Okay? And so we can't just blame it on him. But sin came into the world. And with sin came death, came death. Corruption, came rottenness, came pain, came evil, came selfishness, came all the wickedness of the world that you and I can imagine. And it seems to me that God maybe, you know, if I'd have been God, I'd have just wiped my hands that had been done with it. And do you know that God actually felt that way? He did feel that way. When it came to Noah, he felt that way. He said, I'm going to wipe them all out, you know. And, and, and you know, no, he doesn't do that, though. He desired to. But what he did instead was enter into it. He entered into it. I was reading in, in the newspaper yesterday about Aleppo in Syria. And, and how Aleppo... Um, you know, that's where all the fighting is, the, uh, the rebels and the Assad regime and all this. But the west side of Aleppo is operating as normal, pretty much as normal. People go out and about, it's safe because there, those people are on uh, the king's side or the ruler's side. But East Aleppo, they are systematically wiping that, destroying it, killing men, women, children. It's horrific. Is there a great need there? Anybody want to sign up now to go move to Aleppo, East Aleppo? Well, once again, in a small sense, that's what God did, didn't he? He moved in to this horrific place of sin and ugliness and experienced it all for us. So he is Emmanuel. He entered into our world. The second thing I saw is I said, he shall be called a Nazarene. And now that doesn't mean a whole lot to us, but, and I don't know what to pick because uh, I don't want to offend anybody here. But Nazareth was not known as a prestigious place. It was the other side of the tracks. It was the down and outers. It was the outcasts of society. You know, it was the slums. It was the... And actually one of, because when someone tells one of these people who become disciples that we found Jesus of Nazareth. And and he goes, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And yet he shall be called a Nazarene. Not because other people will say bad things about him, but because he identifies himself with the down and outer. He identifies with the outcast. He identifies with the one who has been rejected by other people. Isn't that good news? And in some sense, that's all of us. He should be called a Nazarene. And then we see that this statement about him. It says that when he saw the multitudes, he had compassion for them. Jesus' heart, God's heart, God's heart sees our needs and he is moved toward us. Moved to work in our lives. Moved to meet our needs. Moved to comfort us in our hurt. To encourage us in our discouragement. To strengthen us in our pain and our weakness. He has compassion. Aren't you glad that God is compassionate toward you? Are you always compassionate toward people? I'm compassionate toward all the people I really like. (laughs) The people I don't really like, well, I just got what was coming to them. I shouldn't, and I really don't wanna be that way, I'm trying not to, but that's a, a natural, but not God, he has compassion for us. And then he said this, he called his disciples to follow him and he said this, He says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so Jesus calls us to follow him to the point of losing family, losing all of our possessions, losing our lives if need be. That's what he calls us to. But yet he says, If you will follow me, if you will take my yoke upon you and let me guide you, you will begin to experience that it's easy and it's not a burden, it's a a freeing of burdens. I mean, do you ever think that following God God is a hard thing? Do you think our world would say, oh, that person is going to be a really great Christian? Yeah, that's a hard, hard thing to do, right? Well, I think the hardest thing to do is to finally give up and say yes to God, and then we find out that with him it's not so hard. So he's not made following him a, a hurtful, painful, difficult thing. All right. Then we see all sorts of statements like this, that he walked on the water, right? He calmed the sea, he turns the water into wine, he heals the blind, the sick, the lame, he raises people from the dead, he fed the multitudes. (laughs) How much power does God have over creation? He is all powerful over creation. I mean, there's nothing in creation that is not ultimately under his control. Now, I'm not saying to you that God is manipulating everything doing that, because I don't think he did that. He created, he made rules for it to run, and it runs, and he keeps it running that way. But this does mean something. This means that, if necessary, he can intervene. And sometimes he, we have a different idea than him about what's necessary, don't we? But that shouldn't surprise us because God says, What? My ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways and thoughts are so high above yours, and you need to go with that. But know this that if necessary to accomplish his good purposes in your life, if he needs to work a miracle, he can, and he will. And then we see that Jesus got frustrated. Is frustration sin? Is it? It can be, can't it? We can, become, we can sin in our frustration, but frustration in and of itself is a sin. How do we know that? Well, because Jesus experienced frustration and he never sinned. He says at one point, they come to him with a problem where they couldn't do something, whatever, and he says, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I bear with you? But what I want you to see here is that Jesus, God, is very, very long-suffering and patient with us. I'd have given up on me a long time ago. This past week, I would have given up on me, and he doesn't. He puts up with it again and again and again and again and again. And again. And sometimes I, he says to me, you know, through his word and quietness of man, "How long do I got to put up with you?" <laughs> and then it's like he gives me a hug and says, "Okay, let's go on." You see, he meets us where we are, doesn't he? He doesn't require us to become anything different than we are to go forward with us. And then he said, or the scriptures say, excuse me, in the things regarding his uh, birth, and then he says something similar to this again later, with God all things are possible. With God all things are Is there anything in your life today that you say, man, this is, I know this needs to change, and it could be in a relationship, could be in your health, but this really, really needs to change, and you look at it and you say, there's no way in the world this is ever gonna change. You might be in a marriage relationship that you find yourself just, you know, or a friendship or a parent-child relationship, family relationship, that you look at it and you said, it has been this way for years and we've tried and tried and tried and it's just impossible. But with God, what? All things are possible. And we ought not give up. We should continue to hope because with Him it's possible. And then we see this. Remember, they brought Jesus, a man who couldn't walk. He was paralyzed. And it's this. It says, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. What do these people believe this man's greatest need was? To be healed and to no longer be paralyzed. But Jesus knew this man had a much deeper, more profound, eternally significant need. He needed to be forgiven. And what I want to say to you is this is a good thing. Now, he he ends up uh, healing this man as well. But I want you to see something. This is so good to know because we come to Jesus. We come to God convinced about what needs to happen, right? Or at least what we think we really want to happen. And what I want to tell you is that Jesus doesn't, God doesn't just go with what you think. He knows what you really need. And he goes to work on that. If you go to the doctor and you say, listen, doc, I haven't been feeling very well. I think what I really need to do is to, to uh, switch from Diet Coke to Dr. Pepper, because that sounds like medical stuff and it's gonna help me get better. And I'm, I'm all set. Okay, I really, I don't need anything else, just that. Are you glad that you have a doctor who knows better? and who will tell you the truth about it and prescribe what you really need? You see, that's on a much bigger scale, that's the way God is with us. And then, I think it was this last year that we preached on this passage of scripture where Jesus tells this man, you know, okay, man's looking for, I think, healing for his daughter and and Jesus says, well, it's, it's possible if you believe, if you believe all things are possible And this man responds and cries to him and says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I do believe, but man, I keep struggling with unbelief. And I got this back and forth thing going on. And what Jesus did not say to this man, okay, come back when you got it all figured out. When you finally believe, come back. The Lord responds graciously to this man and actually works in his life. God meets us where we are. I I don't know how to explain it. That is such good news. What's up today? I'm doing this. I'm just scratching my head and doing this. God meets us where we are. That means wherever you're at today in your life, whether you've done well this week or not done well, whether you've obeyed God or sinned, whether you're encouraged, discouraged, whether you've made mistakes or not, God will meet you right where you are. And we learn that from looking at Jesus because that's how he responded to this man. In John chapter 10, it tells us this, Jesus describing himself as the good shepherd. He talks about the good shepherd. He says he calls his own sheep, by name how personal is god in his relationship with you you know sometimes because of what we've experienced in life we feel god is distant he's out there yeah and it's true but i you know, it's not here no 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 he knows you by name he knows you personally one of our family traditions is that every year we watch this classic classic movie christmas for christmas time Jingle all the way. Arnold Schwarzenegger, one of the greatest actors of all time. But in the process, the uh, Turbo Man—that's the huge star—and all this kind of stuff—and the little boy who wants the Turbo Man—and and somehow or other, Arnold Schwarzenegger gets end up wearing the Turbo Man. It cont- but thing is, he he. He says to this boy who doesn't know it's his dad, says, Jamie, calls him Jamie. And this little boy, his jaw drops. He's like, oh, He knows my name. God knows your name. He knows you. Very personal. He's not just some huge God out there apart from us. As Jesus hangs on the cross, and they are crucifying him there. This is the greatest crime that was ever committed in all humanity because he was the perfect son of God, never sinned, never did anything wrong. He is brutally beaten and almost to the point of death and then crucified to die a horrendous death and in the process takes the guilt for all of us, dying in our place for our sins. And as he hangs there, those who actually did this, I mean, would you wanna be the one who beat and crucified Jesus? You want to be that one? Jesus says this. He says, Father, forgive them. For they don't realize what they're doing. How much forgiveness is available to us from God? How much? More than you need. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And then Jesus, as he hangs there on the cross, and it had to happen, somehow we don't know how this happened because God is one God. He's not three parts. I don't understand how this all happened. But all of a sudden, he finds himself paying our penalty, and somehow or other, he cries out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experiences this forsakenness. In Hebrews, it says that he, Jesus, God, will never leave you nor forsake you. What I want you to understand is this. He understands what it's like to be human. He understands what it's like to be ravaged by sin, not because of his own choices, right? I mean, not because he sinned, but because he took my sin. He took your sin. He knows what that does. I mean, what's it, what has sin done to you? What good has it done for you? What good has sin done? Anything? When you look at it, sin has never done any good thing. All it's ever done is brought a little death into your life, a little pain, a little hurt, difficult. I mean, just never done a thing good. And he took all of yours and experienced that. He took all of mine and experienced that. He took all of ours. And what I want you to say is that he understands us because he went farther than we will have to go. Do you see what I'm saying? He experienced feeling for being forsaken. He says, but that will never happen to you. The Hebrews, he says that we can come to him because our high priest, Jesus, our high priest, he has experienced what we have experienced. He knows, and yet he didn't sin. And because of that, we can come boldly to him, he says, and bring our needs to him. And then one that we're all very, very familiar with in John chapter three, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loved us so much. I mean, what did he give? God gives himself by giving the son As you shop for Christmas this year, there's some people that you'll spend a little bit of money on, and some people you'll try not to spend much money on. but there's some people you'll spend a lot of money on, right? Why? Because you love them. You value them and high, you love them. Well what was God willing to spend on you? How much does He love you? And then, as we go through the Gospels, at the end of every Gospel, in some form or another, we find this kind of thought, and this comes from actually the Gospel of Mark, this go into all the world and preach the Gospel. Go ahead and put that up if you would. Go into all the world and preach the Gospel. What do we learn about God from Jesus telling us this? That God is out there seeking people, God is out there working in people's lives, drawing them to himself. Are you glad that God is the way he is, the way we've seen him today? You glad? You want to give it up? Or you want to keep it? Yeah? There are men and women out there today that are having a hard time getting out of bed because if they look at life, they don't have any of that that we just talked about. If they die in that condition, they'll go to hell. There's boys and girls growing up without a clue about this. I think God has, when we look at Jesus and see God, and we see what that means for us, how can we not share this with other people? Different personalities, different ways, I get that, but shouldn't we be about this business? Individually and as a church. So, if you wanna see God, look at Jesus. And there's more to seeing God than that. Next week, sermon is Seeing God in the Mess. Okay? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are who you are and that you chose to reveal yourself to us through your Son. And Father, we don't... I don't know what we would do if it was up to us how we would do it, but you... Chose to reveal yourself to us by becoming one of us, and in providing us a relationship with you through that. And God, please transform us with the, who you are and what it means in our lives. And then, Lord, please burden us, burden us, burden us to to get purposely involved in trying to share this with others. I pray this in Jesus' name.